The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and my guest today is Sarah Carlin who has some letters after her name that I always think of whenever I introduce her. So MSW, mm -hmm. Sarah Carlin. Hi. Hi. How, how are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you today. It's nice to have you here. I feel like we interact a lot with our Treehouse Foundation yeah. meetings and development committee meetings that we do for Treehouse. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to be able to have you in the studio and chit chat about you yeah, rather than you. I appreciate foster that. kids and families and intergenerational awesomeness in East Hampton. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Which I'm yeah. sure might come up at it some definitely point. Definitely will come yeah. up. <laughs> so, so tell everyone what these lovely letters after your name stand for, because yeah. it's just, you know, some people have numbers like they're yeah. the third or, right. you know, some people have uh, legal words right. um senior junior yeah no, MSW. So, so an msw is a master's in social work um which i pursued at smith um school for social work in the late night uh, was 99 to 2001 it was an incredible experience to have the opportunity to be at an institution like smith and really find what i loved right i had been kind of working around it for several years i taught i did research um, with primates at NIH, I would kind of, and then I had this discovery moment when I was teaching at a school for children who had prim the primary diagnosis. At that time, we called it emotional disability. It's not what we call it now, but it, children who had had a lot of trauma. And I was the teacher, but they each had a therapist and the therapist would come into the classroom and pick them up and take them to the session and they would come back and they just had this incredible relationship and I thought to myself that's that's it that's what I want to do I want to be like, that person it's like being the favorite auntie rather than totally you're like exactly. I want that exactly <laughs> like I want that <laughs> you know it's the kids would sit there and wait and look at the clock is it time yet oh. is it time yet and I just thought I want to be that in people's lives. Like I want to be that person who they um, look to and can rely on for consistency and um, relationship. And I want to learn how to do that really well. So I went to Smith and got my MSW and did a number of things with that, including being a school counselor, working as an outpatient clinician, um, running support groups for moms in postpartum crisis. Um, and then uh, about four years ago, I decided that supporting leaders was the thing that really um, felt like it could be the most impactful. Because if I could help leaders be better leaders, then they could run organizations in a way that was more effective and impactful. So having spent a ton of time doing therapy, I knew I needed to learn how to be a coach um, and specifically a leadership coach. And so then I went to the Brown School um, of Continuing Education and their coaching and got the coaching certification from them in, what is it, it's 2023? So 21. And so is the Brown School different than the Brene Brown School? It is. <laughs> yes. So this is Brown I know University. You're also a Brene fan too. So I didn't yeah. know if they were. Who oh, isn't? Yeah, I know. Yes. Yes. For realsies, yes. right? Like. <laughs> Was when, that 2019 that you hosted that at Smith? 
the wow. Brene leadership. Yes, because it was yeah, it was just pri- it was yeah. just prior to COVID, right? Yeah, so that's that also fall. how we connected. Right, and Beth right. Spawn, yes, who's now Jean's at Dean's Beans, Beans, who we just talked about, yeah. um, formerly at Treehouse, COO, yeah. all the world colliding, yes, um, was yes. at that uh, yeah. leadership conference. That Absolutely, you held that was kind of my first foray into saying like, okay, if I really want to support leaders well. Um, I need to get trained. I need to really understand how to do this with um, a really good background, not just instinct. Um, and so we, I invited some really amazing trainers from California to come out, and it was a we had a big group. Yeah, we did. There's probably thirty of us. Yeah, yeah um, really and we did a two day training with them um, to understand leadership from Brene's perspective, what good leadership looked like from Brene's perspective. And I feel like I, w- I probably wasn't supposed to take away the arena as like the, the foremost thought oh. in that conversation. Oh my um, God. Yeah. But I really left there with a sense of questioning of who is in my arena of life, like the yeah. Tara Brewster arena yep. and who am I spending a lot of time with? Who am I like appreciating? Who am I not appreciating? Yeah. Um, what shifted for you? After that, um, just spent less time uh, on the people who were more of the hecklers, yeah. um, more of the like one ticket per yeah. season or year, mm-hmm. you know, and then focusing more on the the season ticket holders yeah. of my life. You know, the people that are constantly showing up that I constantly have more repetition with um, and really developing and building those relationships. Yeah, because. I mean- I love Other that enough, metaphor. Yeah. We the only season have so tickets. much time. Right. Right. I mean, we all have the same amount of time. Right. But for some reason, yeah. even now, especially in COVID, time feels so much shorter and precious mm-hmm. um, than it used to. Absolutely. I spend a lot of time talking about that with my clients, really determining how to set boundaries, how to deci- decision make around how they're spending their time based on what's important to them, what are their values. And very, especially as women, I think, or women who are, or people who are who are raised as um, women and girls, we learn to kind of satisfy everybody else first before we took care of ourselves. And that really left us not knowing how to ask those questions for ourselves. So a lot of my clients who are givers, right? I work with a lot of nonprofit leaders, medical providers, the my core clients are folks who are incredibly passionate about what they do and want it to be sustainable although a lot of times it doesn't feel sustainable and so they need to learn how to ask that question what's important to you and how right? to take time right how to how to pause and step out of the car yeah. for a minute and you know we were talking before we went on about really filling the gas tank and yeah. figuring out you know how low you can get before you're actually not performing very well at all yeah um, absolutely i remember when i was when i um was um running support groups for what moms in the postpartum period and a lot of them were in deep crisis And one of the things I would always say was you have to put on your own oxygen mask before you take care of your kids. And that was so antithetical to how the we had been acculturated to believe that, like, no, 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 you actually are a hero if you're giving until you've got nothing left. You're Mm -hmm. leaving it all on the field. Mm -hmm. Which is really sad for kids. Yes. Because they need their own space to develop their own coping skills. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It was interesting. I was doing a presentation for women in philanthropy recently, and we were talking about how do you understand boundary setting 
based on your values, right? And I always tell the story that when I, I went to Mount Holyoke undergrad, and so I was surrounded by women who they really believed that they had to put career first. Like that was the only choice coming out of Mount Holyoke. And I remember being like, I actually want to put family first. And I really, I want to do something I love, but my kids are going to come first. And then as I became a mom, really understanding, okay, it has to be a both and. So I have to figure out what my values are. And growth was always a value of mine. And so sometimes that actually competed with my value of family. And I had to understand, like, when am I, when am I going to feed that value? And when am I going to feed the value of family? And my kids had to watch me decision make around that, right? And that wasn't always easy for them. Like, they were mad sometimes that I was taking time away from them to go do stuff. And letting them sit with that feeling of discomfort and saying, you know what? I love you, and this is how I love you. A friend of mine tells a story that she went back to law school after her first child when she was pregnant for her second. And she said, I'm a way better mom when I go to work all day than if I was at home with them all day. So you have to figure out, like, what is important to you? What is what feeds you? And then move forward from there. Because it's not going to look the same for everyone. And I feel like it looks different depending on the day. You know, what you were just talking about with choices Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and it's true. You know, the person that you're choosing, the thing that you're choosing that is in the light. It's in the mm-hmm. happiness and the glory and everything else is kind of in the background in the, in the gray, you yeah. know, they're sort of not, not upfront, not in the light with you. So by that, by that sort of scenario, there's going to be a lot of things and people that aren't happy right, with of course. you because yeah. you did not choose to prioritize exactly. them in that moment. Right. So a big part of it is learning how to sit with their unhappiness. Yeah, and, and you be okay with that, them. right? Like everyone, yeah. Everyone and I used to say to my kids, like, this is practice because life is full of disappointment, and feeling disappointed is not a indication that something's wrong. It's an indication that you're living. So and that you're living. you get to learn, right? Yeah, like and that you care about something. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. If you're having feelings about something, then obviously there's there's emotion tied to mm-hmm. it. There's heart tied to it. Totally. Um, and you don't want to raise kids that, especially girls, yeah, who think that it's their job to not do anything for themselves. Right. Totally. Do you yeah. want that for your kids? No. I mean, I always I have a daughter and a son, and and I like I I wanted both of them for different reasons to see you know, a woman who could really decision make and not live into a certain paradigm, whether that was the like, you know, the work full time or the, you know, stay home full time that really like they watched me like ebb and flow in that area and understand how to how to navigate that for myself. Well, I appreciate you being here and navigating for us right now and for all of our listeners, but we have to take a break. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. My guest today is Sarah Carlin, who is a master of social work and leadership coach, group facilitator, trainer. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. 
back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Sarah Carlin, and we're learning all about how she thinks about coaching and leadership, um, sort of who her clients are. And, you know, oftentimes when we talk about women, we talk about um, their pain points and mm. the pressures of being a mom and a working mom. And so, you know, who are you seeing? Who are your clients? Yeah. You know, are they regional? Are they national? Are they international? Yeah. Um, are there points where it's just all kind of tied together and you feel like you're having the same conversation over and over with all of these different women? Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I see men and women in my practice. Um, um, and primarily, I really focus on folks who have who are doing work doing work that is heart work for them, that is their calling, that is their passion, that they can't imagine not doing what they're doing, and it's burning them out. So I have medical providers, and I have entrepreneurs, I have leaders, um, solo solopreneurs, people who just really love what they do and can't imagine not doing it. So often they are they come to me in this place where they feel like they've hit a wall, right? They they cannot see the way out and they need time and space to understand what that wall is, what is it made up of, is part of it self-created, is part of it in their control, what's not in their control. And then how are they going to work with that to sustain? Sometimes that's logistical. Often it's mindset, mm-hmm. right? So we, I work with a lot of my clients around understanding how they are working with disappointment, feedback, criticism, um, time management. Like how are they working with it? How they are? How are they experiencing it? Um, because so much energy can get put into perseverating on what's not going well. And often we don't think about what is going well. And what's not getting done. I mean, out of my my mouth, I'll say all the time, Mm. you know, I feel like I'm not getting anything done in a day, but I'm constantly in motion, which is not true, right? Right. It's like a fabrication of my brain. Right. I am doing a lot of stuff. (laughs) I am getting a lot of stuff done. I know I am. I believe in myself. But yeah, (gasps) yes, I'm not getting all of it done. So then... I'm a failure. Exactly. And having worked with you, Tara Brewster, I can tell you, (laughs) things get done. And that is a really normal human experience. It's actually called the negative attribution effect. Evolutionarily, our brains develop to notice what's not going well so that we can not keep tripping over the same, you know, door, door jam. Pothole. Right, pothole, whatever it is, right? I fall into potholes. Yeah. And so our brain is developed to say, like, what's not going well and how can I adjust to make it go well. And so it's a practice to notice what is going well. We have to consciously remind ourselves what's going well. And so having a gratitude practice, which is part of one of the things I talk about with my clients, having a daily gratitude practice where you notice what went well today, what did I accomplish today, who are the people in my life who lit me up, right? That actually begins to rewire your brain. The arena. The arena, right. So you're not just looking at the two hecklers. You're looking at like the 47 season ticket holders, right, who are there supporting you because it's really easy to focus on the one heckler. Yep, totally. And so we really need to rewire our brains to understand that. So then that becomes the highway. Looking at what went wrong becomes like the dirt road that's hard to navigate, Mm -hmm. right? We'll be more likely 
to focus on what went well if we practice noticing it. Are you seeing any similarities between um, nonprofit work and for-profit work? I'm curious to Mm. think about, like, is leadership different? Do leaders embody, like, a different set of either mindset or mentality Mm -hmm. around around their work? Have you seen any real, like, delineation between the two? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you asked that question because when I first opened my own coaching business, I thought, I want to work with nonprofit leaders, like only, right? And as I began to meet potential clients, what I realized is that it's not about nonprofit sector or the medical sector or the for-profit sector. It's really about people who are passionate about what they do. The difference I do notice is that nonprofit leaders often are moving from the perspective of putting their organization first over themselves They tend to be much more um, self-sacrificial and don't invest in themselves in the same ways that for-profit leaders do. Because I think for-profit leaders come from the perspective of you have to invest in your business for your business to grow, Mm -hmm. where nonprofit leaders come from a different perspective, which is that everything else in this organization is more worthy than I am. So that is what we have to invest in first. And so nonprofit leaders tend to to not invest in themselves, not take care of themselves quite the same way. And also scarcity mindset. Totally. I feel like, you know, the, the nonprofits are constantly like in this really like mm-hmm. we need to we need yeah. to get our budget done. Like every right. year it's like starting from zero. You know, yes. it's almost like development. You're like, yeah. OK, you just got a million bucks. But guess what? You know, you got to out the door. Yeah. Like yeah. gone. Fundraise for your next. Right. You know, right. I just listened to a wonderful um, TED talk by Atal Gawande, who is a surgeon and an innovator out of um, the Boston area. And he's written a number of books, and um, he's just quite brilliant. Uh, and he talked about how there's two models of learning. There's the expert model, where like doctors and lawyers and many professionals develop an expertise, and then they imagine like they're on their own. And then there's the sports model of learning, which is that you always have a coach. The people who are at the top of their profession, top athletes have coaches. And he's like, why don't the rest of us have coaches, right? So he actually invited in a retired surgeon who he highly respected to watch him perform surgery week after week after week after week and critique him. And he's like, it was amazing. He's like, I thought I was really good at what I did and my complication you know, level was really low and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I got so much better. And he said, the value add was... I became more excited about what I do because I was learning. So when we're on our growing edge, we are so much more likely to be excited about what we do. So inviting in someone who can help us to be a learner again is a really important and key piece to that, to combat that scarcity. Like I have to put everybody else first, like I'm burning out. Um, phenomenon. And I feel like that will help you so much too at work. So, yeah. so often I hear, I hate my job. I hate yeah. going in. I hate my coworkers. Right. Like I just can't, you know, and then you, you get really disgruntled, your performance drops, perhaps yes. you get on, put on like an academic plan or something yeah. like that, or you look to like leave the company. Yeah. But if you could actually say like, Hey, will you be my coach or yeah. will you be my mentor or will you be my work cubicle floor buddy where yeah. we can actually like have some interesting interaction. It'll totally. just, it'll just uplift you and the company right. and your coworker that you've yeah. chosen to kind of partner with. Totally. And we, we feel most proud of things that we've done that, that are hard. 
So when we're engaged in learning and hard work, we feel an enormous amount of pride. We're meant, we're intellectually stimulated, um, and it gives us a reason to keep coming back. It's funny. I thought when you were just mentioning the the TED Talk, I thought you were gonna um, talk about not the coach, but but the players. Yeah. You know, because for me, I'm like, oh yes, please, like come over here and mm-hmm. take this ball from me, so yeah. I can like run down the field while you pass to someone else, and then yeah. yeah. So I'm a total team. Totally. Team player. I'm not an expert in anything, and right. I'm just like. Please help me. Yes. Get this done. Get Everybody. This, right. Sign up. And I think that piece that what you reflect often and I see in you is that desire to build relationship and build community. And, and that's the place where you fill your bucket. Right. Because you see things happening because of the relationships that you have developed well, I can't get anything done without ever, someone else. You know, it's like I don't no. know how anyone gets no. anything done in a silo. No. It's just, just not how I how I view the world or how I operate yeah, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So you have your mom. Mm-hmm, I'm you a have, mom. You have a couple kids. I, yeah, they're like young um, adults now. I know. It's wow, amazing. Crazy. You made it so far. Congratulations. Yes. Um, but I also <laughs> feel that something else that really I hear a lot about, you know, when you speak or around the work that you do is that you ride horses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been a lifelong lover of horses and, you know, didn't always have the financial means to engage as deeply as I wanted when I was a young adult, but then really got to do more when I was in college. And now as an adult, it is a humongous part of my life. It, um, I, three of my horses live on my, on my farm in Conway. Um, they are who I wake up with every morning and the last thing I do before I go to bed at night. And, um, they are a pivot point for me and how I think about, my own wellness and development and learning um, and relationship, like the, how I develop relationship with them is really shaped my work. And I would love to talk about that yeah. after the break for yeah. sure, because, you know, as I was reading through some of your stuff on LinkedIn and some of the articles that I found online, you know, I was really thinking of your horses as a metaphor, not yeah. only for yourself and the buckets and the way that you take care of yourself, but also for your work. Yeah. Um, in as being a therapist and and more so this is tara brewster you've been listening to the western mass business show i'm here with sarah carlin today who's a leadership coach a facilitator and trainer we'll be right back the western mass business show with tara brewster whmp The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and I'm here today with my friend Sarah Carlin, who is talking to us about the way that she coaches and leads um, nonprofit and for-profit leaders, how they differentiate and how they are similar. Um, Before the break, we were talking about your horses and sort of how you see them in relationship to your life and your work. And um, so talk a little bit about that. I loved that you just said, you know, it's the thing that you wake up with in the morning. Mm -hmm. and the thing that you go to sleep with at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So horses are really interesting because they're herd animals. So they depend really highly on relationship because their relationships with one another is what keeps them safe. And so when you are working with horses, they are even more highly related than dogs in a 
much more highly related than cats because they work those animals work in packs um which are and they're not prey animals they horses are potentially prey right so working with a horse is all about relationship it's all about connection it's all about deeply understanding them and they don't obviously do not speak our language so we are <laughs> trying to understand their language all the time and that's what keeps me coming back to my work with them I have a subspecialty in working with equestrian professionals. So I work with people who are professionals in the equestrian industry, who are trainers primarily, um, because speaking, often people who are in the horse world are are misunderstood by people who are outside the horse world. They don't, it's hard to really understand, like, why would you take a job that, like, pays you nothing? You, like, work ridiculous hours. You're, like, putting yourself in physical danger all the time. Like, like, that seems crazy. And yet we can't imagine not doing it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I I can't imagine not having my horses in my life, not riding, not participating in that way. It's, like, in my blood, right? And so when I work with equestrian professionals, they feel understood at a different level than if they were working with a non-horse person Mm -hmm. as a coach. Um, And so I've really been able to cultivate some opportunities for them to do this deep work um, in in a way way that they didn't imagine they could. Um, so, So that has really informed my practice significantly. I'm thinking of all the horse movies that I've seen. In the past, I think Jockey was one. Maybe it was called Jockey. It was very emotional a few years ago at Amherst Cinema. Um, And just the things that you don't know about the horse world and racing. Yeah. Yeah. um, It's a very complicated world. Yeah. It's a very complicated world. Yeah. Yeah. Very upset, you know, top and bottom. I feel like it's it's the the haves and the have nots. Totally. In the middle, it seemed like. Yeah. Um, And the people who are working in the industry are often the folks who don't have financial resources. And then all the financial resources are you know, kind of kept in the owner's ownership area. Mm-hmm. And like, how oh, do you, you mean this that? is like America? <laughs> yeah, exactly, Joan. It's like a microcosm of America. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'm, I'm thinking about in parallel to that is, you know, there's so much um, conversation around horses as mm, therapy, specifically right. around kids with disabilities, yep. which you mentioned um, in a previous segment. So I don't know if that's ever in your future, yeah. if you're ever like leading towards that more, but I yeah. could totally see a parallel there as well. Yeah, it was really interesting. I did some of that work when I was in my 20s and in college. Um, I did. I worked in a therapeutic riding program, um, both while I was at Mount Holyoke and then shortly after I graduated. And what really struck me about that was how, um, how much communication is nonverbal, right? So I had a young man who had like significant developmental disabilities and he was able to tell us things that were about what was going on with these horses that we couldn't see because we were so trapped in our intellectual selves in a way that he couldn't be. And one day he was riding a horse named Wendy and he said to us, Wendy's sick. And we're like, no, no, buddy, he's okay. Like he's fine. And we just kept reassuring him. He's like, no, 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 Wendy's sick. Wendy colicked that night. Like he knew he was sick before. And colic is a, in, an intestinal blockage that happens in horses and can really 
cause death, but this in this case it didn't. But he knew before we did because he was so much more tuned in mm-hmm. and he was able to get out of his head and into his body and really sense what was happening. And so that's the other part of being with horses is it brings me into my body. I have to be so aware of how I'm standing, what I'm bringing emotionally and physically to the relationship because that's what that's their language. I'm smiling, Joan, because we had an um, interview last week with Stephen Bryla, oh. who's the owner of Go With The Flow in East Hampton, and he ah. was talking about his cold baths that he takes. Oh, yes. Um, and how it's just like a full-on presence. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot not be anywhere else in yes. the mind and the body. And Yes. Um, yeah. So you're reminding me it's of that. Um, not that he has it at Go With The Float. He has it in his, in his yard. No, 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 but yeah. you can do water therapy there. Um, yeah, no, it's incredibly... Yeah, no, it's really, really important to, and I think that's part of what I bring to coaching is that because I have such a deep body awareness, often my experience with my clients is a sensing experience. So I'm able to pick up, even through Zoom, like what's happening or a shift or a change. I can't read their minds, but like I can say like something just shifted, something changed. How can we bring that into conversation? Um, Because that's part of my job as a coach is to notice what you're not noticing, right? And to name, help name it and bring it into awareness. You're giving me some hope. I have a, um, I have a, a gift. One of my friends, Ian, got me a um, Christmas present of a, of, of a seer um, in Australia. Ooh. So um, I get to have a conversation with a psychic over Zoom. Whoa, um, fun. And, you know, you're giving yeah. me like some, okay, good, this, this might be actually like a real yeah. thing. Cause I opted for, you know, the visual yep. Zoom phone call rather than the, the old school phone yeah, call yeah. to just to be able to like really. Yeah. Like, and you're go. so expressive. Like you're deeply. so facially expressive and verbally expressive that they're going to have a lot to work with. Yeah, I got to gotta write down my questions. Yeah. Yeah. My past life and present life and future life questions. <laughs> Good so, for you. Yeah. Um, so speaking about balance and energy and being in your body and your mind, um, yeah. you know, how do you bring that every day? Mm. You know, I mean, what are what are your tips and your tricks and your conversations around the people that you talk to um, to yeah. make better decisions, to come with a more fully present mind and more intentional actions that would align with all of those things in your daily life? Yeah. So I think that what I do for myself um, is that I'm I practice my yoga. I meditate most mornings, <laughs> never 100 um, percent. And I really know that it's my responsibility to bring my full self to the table when I'm working with my clients. And in order to do that, I have to take care. I have to do my own work. I have to take care of myself and I have to constantly um work toward being present and aware. And then I can offer that to my clients because it's not about achieving a certain goal, right? It's I watched a woman speak at a medical conference in December and she was talking about the um the challenge of the kind of only good vibes and you know, living your best life and like all of this kind of um, positive psychology and not truly positive psychology, but the pop positive psychology movement um, and how detrimental it can be. Because for those of us who aren't feeling like we're 
only good vibes all the time. And no one is. No one is. Exactly, Joan. Like, no one is, but there's that, like, social media thing that happens where you just, you imagine you're seeing someone else's outsides and you're comparing it to their, your insides. And you're only seeing the best of the best. And you're only seeing what people curate, right? Right, right. the curated best. The curated yeah, best. Best and, self. And so I think it's so important to help people to begin to be present with what is really coming up for them. And then learn to navigate with that. Because when we're in resistance to the negativity that's coming up, then we're, we're, that's where our energy is going, is pushing that away, pushing that down. And so to have a space where people can bring what is hard, what is confusing, what is what they're having a hard time navigating, and know they're not in it alone, they're not the only one, and that there are things we can do to work with that. It's not the end of the world. I remember talking to a chef last year who was like, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do. Like, it's all terrible. And I remember being like, well, there are a lot of things that are hard, but that doesn't mean it's like there's nothing we can do. There's always something we can do. And it's never all terrible. Right. And so there has to be a nugget in there somewhere of like not bad. Right, right, right. Where is that? Let's dig for that one. Exactly. And so that's the other thing I offer my my clients is this opportunity when they think it's all bad, when they think there's no way out to to begin to find those cracks and those glimmers. Um, And we yeah. Okay. It's a good break. Yeah, yeah. Joan's giving us like Joan's break. giving us the like the, the peace sign fingers <laughs> and the two and threes <laughs> and so we gotta wrap it up. But it's it, we have one more, so we'll be Great. right back. This is Tara Brewster. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show, and my guest today is Sarah Carlin. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Sarah Carlin, leadership coach, a group facilitator, and a trainer. One thing I really wanted to talk about, and Joan did too, um, <laughs> which we almost went to, we almost said the words, the shadow work, you know, yeah. the, the real exposure of yourself, of yeah. the real self, the real you that oftentimes we don't see, that we don't present, you know, yeah, we don't feel permitted bit, to right, present right, even to held. yourself. Yes. Right. You know, Sarah, how do we how do we do this? Like, how yeah. do we feel more comfortable about exposing our true selves? I think you find a trusting partner, whether that's in coaching or in therapy or in a group setting where you can show up as your full and complete self, all the parts of it, even the ones that you're a little cautious, you don't even want to see yourself and know that it will be held and loved unconditionally. The unconditional love that we are supposed to get from our parents, and they do the best they can on any given day to do that, is such a crucial piece in our ability to trust ourselves, to trust the world. And so finding relationships where that can happen is key. Sometimes that's in a friendship, and it's really useful to have someone who is job it is to show up for you. And that's why I'm such an advocate for therapy and coaching is because that is our job as coaches and therapists is to show up for you 
and to be that person who is there for you unconditionally and consistently so that you can begin to navigate that shadow self. Boundaries have a lot Mm. to do with this conversation, you know, whether it's from parents or growing up or friends, you know, we either weren't taught them or we've let go of them. Can you speak a little bit about boundaries? Because I know that's like a real thing that you're working on a lot. Yeah, I work. um, I would say it's one of the primary things I work with my clients on is boundary setting. When we think about boundary setting, we think about it as putting up a wall, a a no, saying a no, right? You and I had a conversation before we went on air about how yes is like such a beautiful place for you and that like saying no is hard, right? And boundaries aren't about saying no. Boundaries are about understanding what's important to you and how to create space for that. So I like to talk about boundaries as bridges, not walls. They're an opportunity to connect more deeply Because when you discover what's important to you and you set boundaries around that, people get to have an opportunity to know you better. They have an opportunity to trust you more because there's nothing harder than a person who says, yes, 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 yes. And then back here, they're resenting the heck out of you. You have to sit with their resentment, right? And that doesn't feel trusting. So when you set boundaries from a place of value, understanding your values, then people can know that when you say yes, it's a real honest to God yes. It's not a yes, but I'm going to hate you for it. It's like a real honest to God yes. And then they're going to want to ask more. They're going to want to not like ask more of you, but they're going to want to engage more with you, right? And people can trust that you mean it. Yes. If you're honest with them and say, you know what? I'm flat out. I mm-hmm. I would love to help. I think it's a great thing. I can't do that at this time. Right. But please keep asking me. Yes. Exactly, Joan. Exactly. And that's... I love the please keep asking me. Please keep asking it's me. It's such a good one. It is because it's a yeah, it's, an, it's a no and. It's a, it's a not right now. It's a not right now. Right? <laughs> you know, I was talking with a woman who is actually my own business coach and she said, oh, my sister-in-law has really good boundaries. She's really good at saying no. But I often find her bristly. And I was like, well, that's that's someone who knows how to say no and knows how to protect themselves, which is different than setting boundaries, right? So boundaries are this opportunity to deepen relationship and protecting yourself is an opportunity to withdraw from relationship. Um, So there are people who are good at saying no, but they usually just are throwing up walls just to say they can do it and to make sure people will respect those no's, not really honestly knowing what is important to them and leaning into that. I think sometimes people swing the pendulum that far when they're trying to learn how to set a boundary. Exactly, Joan. And that's why when I teach my clients about boundary setting, I say, let's first figure out what's important to you and then let's set a boundary. So if family is really important to you, you can set an email reminder that says, like, thank you very much for emailing me. I don't reply to emails after six o'clock because family, that's my family time and that's important to me, right? Versus just not replying. So it's like really, oh, so now I know that person is a family person. Like that's really important to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. To develop the relationship that you have with them. Yeah. Yeah. Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Yeah. Are you living your dream job? Oh, is this God, like just, am I ever. Yeah. Every time I get off a client call, I'm just vibrating with joy and yeah, just sparkling just sparkling. I have a client right now who's a med student and it's been so much fun to work with this person at an age where she's beginning to develop her habits, right? Develop her habits of work, develop her habits of relationship. Um, 
And then I have clients on the other end of the spectrum who are getting ready to retire and wanting to understand what retirement is. And all in between, get off the call, I feel like, wow, I've had impact, which is the most important thing to me. I want to feel like I left this world a different place than I arrived in it. Amen to that. Every time I get to do this work, I just pinch myself. I can't believe I get to to do this. People trust me and bring me into their lives in this way. Do you have a dream client? Do you have anyone that you're like, oh, I would love to get on a call with this person? person. Oh, my God. So um, I won't necessarily name names. Um, Could be someone famous. It right. doesn't have to be. <laughs> but it's really local that you're like, right, got to get, get that person. Yeah. Um, but I really I, I want my my ideal client is always someone who is just loves what they're doing, right? Like really, really wants to make impact in the world, who wants to um, take good care of the world, um, who is thinking about other people often more than themselves and that I can really help them learn the power of having deeper impact by taking care of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Um, how to not try to drive that car after it says the tank is has no miles left till empty, right? <laughs> like how much more impactful you can be when you are maintaining your your own well being. Like so those are my that's my like ideal client. So do you have any well being tips or tricks mm. that you know you sort of prescribe to people who are needing to? Yeah, I would say the, in? the number one thing to notice is. What is your, like, what are your, not your red flags, because you don't want to wait till the red flags are coming up. What are your orange flags, right? What are the things that you notice physically is happening for you? What kind of thought patterns are coming up when you are beginning to go below what your capacity is, right? When, when you really, your tank is really starting to get empty, Begin to just notice those. Notice it. You don't have to do anything about them right away, but notice them, name them for yourself, and write them down. It's good. My mom on earth, Sid Dalby, always says to go to the gas station when it hits a quarter of a tank rather yes. than right in the fumes. Yep. And so. you got to know what a quarter of a tank feels like. Yeah. Because yep. a lot of times we don't. Yep. Well. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you Sarah for having Carlin. me. This was beautiful. And I also want to um, stay in the gratitude space and thank Business West, who's one of our sponsors, George O'Brien and his team, um, doing amazing work, both in the publication that they send out bi-weekly, um, online, and also on his radio show. Thank you to Business West and George O'Brien, and also to Greenfield Savings Bank, my employer, who allows me to be in the world living the Tara Brewster life. Um, Ten branches throughout Franklin and Hampshire County. We have a new CEO and president. Tom Mashako, who is awesome. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening. This is Tara Brewster, Western Mass Business Show, and my guest today, Sarah Carlin. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for being here. I'm giving you a big heart um, with my hands. You're Thank you, best. Joan. Thank you, Tara. I really appreciate being Thank here. Thank you, Joan Holiday. You're welcome. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.